Welcome to episode 100 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. In the last podcast, I told you to prepare for Tempest Fugit this week. We are doing that, but I've also decided that we'll cover Max at the same time. Just because one of the issues I've had with the two-parters is that it's hard to talk about the first part in detail without spoiling the second because of the way they fit together. So starting here and from this point forward, anytime we have multi-part episodes within the same season, we're going to cover both at the same time. So season finales and season premieres will still be split up, and we'll still have the season overview podcast in between. But anytime we've got to be continued within one season, both parts will be covered together. So if you haven't had a chance to watch Max yet, you can pause the podcast now and come back once you have. The episodes both take place in the state of New York. They both originally had IMDb user scores of 8.3 out of 10, which have risen to 8.6 out of 10 following the 200-day marathon that Fox did. These were episodes 17 and 18 of season 4, airing on March 16th and 23rd, 1997. Both were co-written by Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz. Tempest Fugit was directed by Rob Bowman, and Max was directed by Kim Manners. So these bring us back to Max Fennig, who we first met in season 1. Mulder saw him abducted. He was suspended by piano wires, which were much less obvious before DVDs were available. This resolution exceeds TV resolution, and those wires just weren't visible in broadcast, especially on recorded episodes after the fact. This time, he's got something that he's trying to bring to Washington that he believes will serve as definitive proof about the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Well, it turns out it's highly radioactive, and it's harming him. There's blisters on his face when we first see him. But an alien spacecraft abducts him from a jet airliner in the middle of a commercial flight. Now that flight ends up crashing, and Mulder hears about it because a friend of Max comes to Mulder and Scully, says, hey, I was supposed to reach out to you if anything happened. Something happened. It initially looks like this was a conspiracy and the government was trying to suppress what Max knew, as his name didn't even appear on the register anymore. We eventually learn that he was flying under a pseudonym that he used and that the government cover-up wasn't about Max itself. There was a military base that detected that UFO, treated it like a hostile aircraft, and it was their attack on that UFO that caused the plane to fall out of the sky when it was being suspended by the UFO itself. And in the second part, Mulder gets his hands on this radioactive material. He tries to do the same thing, but again, an alien aircraft shows up and takes it from him in midair, as well as capturing a member of that flight who was trying to take it for other reasons. So all in all, it's a good two-parter. One of the major impacts in terms of the long-term continuity on the air is that Agent Pendrel dies. It's Skelly's birthday. He sees her, decides to buy her a drink while she's there with someone that she's trying to hold in protective custody. They're attacked, and Agent Pendrel takes a bullet that was intended for the person with Scully. Scully does manage to shoot the man in the leg, but he escapes in one piece. Unfortunately, both Pendrel and Max do not survive. Max died in the crash. Now, guest stars also include Joe Spano, who was a NASA director in Apollo 13 a couple of years prior to this. He was in Primal Fear the year before, but he is possibly best known for appearing in Hill Street Blues. He played Lieutenant or Detective Henry Goldblum for 144 episodes of that series. Now, Tom O'Brien plays Sergeant Lewis Frisch in this, He's the military air traffic controller who gave the coordinates of the UFO on the flight to the attacking aircraft 
He was also in the Time Cop TV series, The Strip. He was Roger Nixon and five episodes of Smallville. He's also known for being in The Accused, The Astronaut's Wife, and The Big Easy. Chilton Crane plays Max Fenning's friend, who he met in an insane asylum or a mental health institution. She's better known for 50-50, Final Destination 2, Cut Bank, and Flower and Garnet. But she's got quite a lot of credits to her name, going back to 1988. Those are the primary guest stars this time around. Of course, including Scott Bellis as Max Fennig and Brandon Beiser as Agent Pendrel. Now, Tempest Fugit also won an Emmy Award for the Outstanding Sound Editing in a Series. Which we hear a lot of that. There's a lot of background noise and things going on at the investigation, in the mid-air abductions. And it's generally well-designed. You can still hear everything that you're supposed to hear while you're completely aware of how much background noise there is. So you get why it's hard for the characters to hear, but the audience can always follow, which is a tough balance to find. So that one is a deserved Emmy. This is also the episode that they were filming when David Duchovny and Taya Leone started dating. And it won't be long at all until they're married. It was a rather whirlwind courtship on that one. So this does establish that the government knows that these aliens are here and what they're doing, but they're not necessarily on the same side. Up to this point, most of the government involvement we've seen has been cooperative. There's a little bit of talk between Jerry Harden's character, Deep Throat, and the cigarette smoking man about opposing the agenda, but that was mostly from Deep Throat, and we didn't really get a feel that there was a whole organized group. This time the UFO was outright attacked, so it does seem that there is local opposition to them which is adding a new element to the mythos here, which may be something they're putting in because by this time, they already knew that the first movie was coming. Chris Carter had already done most of the writing, and when they were done filming this season, then they were going to start the feature film. Now, as far as the science goes, it is possible to wipe short-term memories. It is possible to hold a vehicle suspended in the air. With our technology, we couldn't do it. But it is possible. The main thing is the deceleration when you're pinning it down to prevent squashing the passengers. It would have to be a slow deceleration. But there are that and there are methods to prevent people from making memories. It's their interpretation of stopping time that really doesn't work. The watches go to sync for nine minutes. But after the watches stop, the human beings are still interacting. Mulder is still on the phone talking to Scully. Watches are not directly connected to some sort of universal time that they're feeding us. It's a mechanism that is just made with enough precision that we can use it to keep time. In fact, the only reason we can measure time is because of simple harmonic motion or periodic motion, something where an exact pattern repeats a set number of times. That's how we count time. If such motions did not exist, we couldn't come up with the unit of time and measure it. So if time was really stopped, people would stop right alongside the devices and we wouldn't be able to tell what's going on, there'd be issues with the winds and things around it, because we're in the middle of a current. You'd really have to stop time in essentially the whole planet, where something is going to be messed up with weather patterns or something along those lines. But that said, Mulder's the one who said that they stopped time. That's not necessarily what's going on. It could just be the intense electromagnetic fields that they could use to hold the plane in place, that interfere with the mechanisms of watches, although that should have shut down the phone as well, combined with something to wipe the memories of the people within, so they had no clear recollection of what happened. So the science is incredibly difficult, but not necessarily impossible, and certainly misinterpreted by Mulder, who, frankly, does not have a physics background. He's an amateur physicist with a 
excellent psychology background. At any rate, that's what we have to say about Tempest Fugit and Max. Join us again in two weeks when we take a look at Synchrony. Don't forget to send any and all feedback to Bureau42Podcasts at gmail.com. And finally, thank you for listening.